time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Sometimes expectations kind of get a bad rap these days. We're told not to have expectations. And that might be some good advice to not have expectations of others. But what of our own expectations, our expectations of how we're going to be in the world and what we're going to do in the world? Is there something there that maybe we're at risk of losing if we just give up on expectations? And also, expectations may be something that can, when used properly, give us some hope for what to move towards. And I think that maybe when we lose all expectations of anything good, of anything moving in our direction, anything that we want to have happen, when that evaporates, I think maybe we're at risk of losing our hope. Now, today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how expectations can be used to move you in the right direction, how they have the power to change where you start from and how you can use that as the seed from which you'll grow and and how that changes how you even view the world. Today, the topic is the power of expectation, and my guest is Art Costello, who has done a lot of research on his own about this, but also has lived a life of trying to find out the expectations, of of even having conversations as a nine-year-old walking up a mountain with himself, trying to figure out what he could expect from life, what, what does life offer. So, we get to have a chance to talk about the power of expectation with Art Costello. So we all have expectations in life, and sometimes those expectations can get us into trouble. But what if those expectations were our way of getting to hope, our way of moving forward, how we expect that? Uh, today, that's what we're talking about with Art. Uh, Art, thank you so much for being here. I always love to start with where we got to here. How'd you get to here? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to this spot. First of all, Lee, I want to thank you for having me on, and it's a pleasure and great knowing you. My journey started as a nine-year-old when I was abandoned, and I had to figure out life on my own. And it became, what happened is I, out of my loneliness, I started making these trips up this mountainside, and I would have these conversations with God asking what was going to become of me. I made those journeys many, many times. And one afternoon, sunny, beautiful, blue skies, I'm laying on my back and I'm very despondent and and frustrated with life and everything. And and I just came out and I said, you know, God, what's what's my future? What, What is it? And I heard this voice inside of me and it literally at nine years old, it scared the holy, you know what, out of me. I mean, I didn't know what was coming, but I heard this voice that just said, it's your job to just be good and do and just keep doing and your greatness will come. It, the voice didn't say greatness. It said your time will come. I made that trip literally hundreds of times over the next few years. And my belief system in that voice became so strong that it became my guiding light. And I figured out how I was going to leave the situation I was in. And I ended up in the Marine Corps uh, to get away from being lonely and abandoned and all that. And uh, ended up in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And uh, Vietnam experience was uh, filled with hope, direction. Always knew that I would come home. 
never had a doubt in my mind that I would make it. And I was a combat Marine, a machine gunner. And I just had this strong belief and faith in that voice that I heard. And it propelled me through life. I mean, I've always done everything that I wanted to do. I mean, if there was a a job that I wanted to pursue or a business that I wanted to pursue, I did it because I always had this faith in the voice. We're going to jump ahead about 30 some years. I got married uh, and in September 16th in 2003, my wife was diagnosed. My wife at 38 years was diagnosed with ovarian cancer Mm. on September uh, or on the 23rd of September, she was diagnosed 2003 on September 16th, 2006, she passed away and my life fell apart again. And for a couple of years, I was drinking and, and just doing stuff that was out of character for me because I've always been focused and very successful at everything I've done. And I've had this strong belief and hope and, and that everything always works out, but I gave it up when she passed away. I felt that abandonment again. And my kids came to me about three years afterwards and they got tired of seeing me wasting my life away because I had literally because of having to pay off all of the medical bills, all of my retirement, things that my wife and I had worked for that were going to be our retirement, went into paying off a massive amount of uh, chemotherapy bills and medical bills and hospital stays and all those things. You know, once, once the medical industry knows you have assets, they're going to they're gonna get their money for them. So I literally ended up with having very little except our ranch out, outside of tech, uh, Austin. And uh, my kids came to me and uh, they said, dad, you promised mom you weren't going to do this. And uh, at two o'clock that morning, I went out on the lawn of our ranch and I laid back on my back and I asked God what was going to become of me again. Mm. And I heard this voice in me that just said, buddy, I've given you all the tools. All you need to do is use them. And it was so invigorating for me. You know, we talk about the proverbial slap in the face. That's exactly what it did to me. I got up and I started writing and I started living again. I started dating. I started doing all these wonderful things. I felt so rejuvenated. And out of my my writing, I put together the book called Expectation Therapy. And it morphed, literally morphed in time. My my educational background has been in psychology. So I guess it makes sense that it all morphed into this. But what happened was, is I started looking back on my life and I started realizing I've always had this expectation in me that everything's going to work out. It's going to be just the way it's meant to be. And I started putting together this book that, and actually I put together thoughts that became the book and became a protocol that I've now started to use to help people heal people that are in transition, people that are going through divorce, loss of a spouse, any kind of those events. I've, I can help them by changing how they expect, but it's more, it's keeps morphing into more and more and more because my belief is that we all have the seed of expectation in us. And when we 
learn how to manage our expectations and not live to the expectations of the people around us, that it's not only society, but it's religion, it's politics, it's all, everything has expectations. And I'm not saying this in a selfish way, but yet I am saying be selfish, be be self-aware of your expectations, because when you live to your expectations and not the expectations of others, life unfolds like a beautiful flower. It just, it just goes through, and you, there's less anxiety, less stress, because all of the expectations that come from the outside sources put that stress and anxiety on us. And it's when we live to our expectations that are our, what I call core expectations in us, which is for me is integrity, honesty, faithfulness, uh, just a whole slew of them. When we live to those, we find this natural happiness that comes to us and everything just always seems to work out. And that's, that's how it started for me was at a nine-year-old. And, it, and this idea that I have has morphed. I mean, it keeps on uh, evolving. Evolving is a better word. It keeps on there's more and more things that, you know, like when we were at the summit and I ended, as I do with every, every uh, speech or uh, every event I go to, I, I always end it with, remember, everything starts with an expectation and stops with an expectation mm. because we, we are an expectant species. Nothing we do. I, I challenge people all the time. Tell me one thing you do that is not based in an expectation. I have challenged some of the brilliant minds at Harvard and different universities around the country. Tell me one thing you do that is not based in an expectation. It's why we take action because we have these epiphanies first, then we have the form an expectation. And then what is hopefully we do is take the action. And then when we take the action, it becomes Possible. Mm. And I believe in the possibility of everything. Everything is possible if we believe in it. So I mean, lots. there's a lot in that story, and, and uh, we could get lost in that story for a long time. Um, so I, I don't want to a whole lot, but I'm aware, I mean, at nine years old, um, you're uh, a pretty good philosopher theologian. <laughs> so what do you think that um, that point of abandonment, how do you think that maybe that abandonment actually triggered that for you to be doing that seeking? Because at nine years old, I mean, I might have been having some thoughts, but I sure wasn't having deep thoughts about what's going to happen to me. Where am I going to land? How did that get activated? I think out of loneliness. I think of out of loneliness and abandonment. It, you know, when you get to the, when you get to the bottom of where you're where you're, where you're at, which is kind of a funny statement. But when you do get to that lowest point in your life, don't we all start reflecting on how to get out of it? I mean, even at nine, I knew that there was something better. There was something waiting for me. And then it became a belief when I kept on going up on that mountain and getting the validation. Mm. And when I heard that voice, it validated it and it became my, uh, it became my mantra. You know, I just wrote a, I, you know, my wife argues with me. She thinks she's heard this quote before, but I was writing the other day and I wrote, nothing ever happens to you. It always happens for you. Mm -hmm. Because I've always looked at everything as 
as a learning experience. Everything that happens in our life is meant to teach us a lesson. When it, when it, when we don't listen to it is when it, it really starts working against us because we start to question things. And then uh, when you question things, it causes hesitation. Hesitation causes fear. And once we have fear, it stops. Mm. So everything to me, I look at everything as a learning experience. E- even when I was young, like that at nine, I knew there was just something innate in me that just said, you know, this is all meant to teach you something, you know, and I just have this never die attitude. I, I don't give up on stuff. Uh, I, I always look for the, the, uh, the lesson in, in everything that goes on around me. And I, yeah. I, so I think one of the things that you're, you're pointing out there, the, when, whenever we're interpreting things as happening to us, Mm-hmm. Um, that usually is, I think, a pretty good indication that the ego has stepped in, right? I mean, there's that <laughs> egocentric place. And uh, when I was a chaplain, you know, people were constantly saying, why did this happen to me? And, you know, I'm sitting there going, I'm in a whole hospital full of people where this exact type of thing is happening to people, but not specifically, at, is, you know, they were looking for a reason why it was done to them, that somehow mm-hmm. this universe Mm -hmm. or God or wherever had somehow done something to them other than instead of it just happens. Now, Mm -hmm. what are you going to do with it? Right. And Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's kind of what you're saying. I I wonder, there's a, an interesting shift because you talked about selfish Mm -hmm. um, and you said it's, it's uh, you you were, I think there was almost a a bit of a struggle there. And one of the things I've, I've realized is that our more often than not, when somebody tags something that I'm doing is selfish it's usually because it's getting in the way of their selfish, you know, <laughs> it, it impedes on their, what they want, their wish, their expectation of me. Uh, and so we use that term, all oh, that selfish. And so one of the things that I've often done with clients is to shift them to think about self full. How am I doing things <clears throat> that are a, a more fully about myself, you know, more <laughs> fully about my, my, um, expression in the world, which sounds like that's kind of what you're, you're pointing to there. And that brings me to this thing about expectation. Tell, tell me what you mean, what's your, kind of what's your definition of expectation, just so we make sure that everybody's on the same dictionary. Expectation is, when, is the event when we are, I'm trying to put this right. Expectation is when we personally have a predetermined idea what's going to happen and how we look at it and how we perceive it and and the perspective we take on it comes in two lenses, either faith or fear. If we look at it through faith, then, and faith isn't always a religion thing. Faith can be faith in a coach. It can be in yourself. It can be in a parent. I think the, the ultimate is faith in God, but that's a personal choice that people make. But faith will always lead you through and get you to the point of being hopeful. You know, I, I do a lot of suicide uh, talks and work. And what happens with people who are, commit suicide is they've lost all hope. Mm-hmm. And when they lose all hope, then they see no other avenue except suicide. And my job is to keep people hopeful. Yeah. That's what that's what my purpose is here on earth, because no matter what you do or whatever happens to you, 
it has a purpose and, and it's our job to be patient and live it out. I didn't know this stuff when I was nine years old. I didn't know what was going to happen to me, but now I've lived, I'm 72 and I've lived this cycle of life and I've seen it come full circle. I didn't become this insightful and, and even though I was involved in uh, coaching and, and counseling people, it took on a whole different form when my wife passed away and I went through the experience of, of hitting the skids again and then coming back. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just took a whole new approach to everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, money has stopped being the thing that drove me when I was younger. I always wanted to have the biggest, nicest cars, the biggest, nicest house and all that stuff, you know, and I really learned after I lost her that uh, doesn't matter. None of those things really matter. What's important is to be happy and hopeful and help as many people as you can. My heart has always been there. You know, when I was in Vietnam, I tried to adopt a little nine-year-old girl out of, uh, out of an orphanage. We were coming up through the mountains and uh, heading back to our main base. And I came back through this village and, and I saw this little girl with her hands through chicken wire looking up at me and you know, you ever have one of those experiences when your eyes hit somebody else's eyes and you know that there was something without ever saying a word? Because, I mean, I couldn't say anything to her. But when I got back to, to our main compound, just by chance, our chaplain was there. And I, I asked the chaplain, I said, Chaplain, you ever been to that little village just up, you know, a few, a few clicks up the road? And he said, yeah. He said, there's an orphanage there. And I said, is that orphanage surrounded by chicken wire and there's kids running all over it? And he said, that's it. And I said, I just made eye contact with this little girl in there. And I said, I want to help her. I think I saw myself at nine years old mm. feeling abandoned and everything. She just had, to, I wish I could explain to the uh, how her eyes were and everything when she saw me when we locked on. But it started a movement where I actually helped my parents. I, I wrote home to my parents and I asked them to send all of my money that I had saved from my pay because you, you can't spend it over there. So, you know, I had put it all in the bank and I said, send it all. My parents said, no, we're not going to send it all, but we'll, we'll send you clothes and toothbrushes and diapers and all that. And we started, the chaplain and I started this huge project that spread all over Vietnam. President Johnson, uh, recognized my parents for, for putting this together. It was called Operation Morale because we were supplying clothes or they were supplying clothes and everything. When it came time to come home, I, uh, I asked the Marine Corps if I could take her home with me. And of course, being an 18 year old, not married Marine, they, they, in 1966, they said, no way. So, uh, I talked to Father Bolts, and Father Bolts uh, said he, he was going to be there. Uh, he was actually permanently there. He just rotated home for a month to the States and then would go back. So he said, you just send me the money and stuff, and I'm in touch with your parents, and we'll keep, we'll keep Yoon taken care of. And then in 19, when I got out of the Marine Corps in 68, uh, Father Bolts wrote to us after Tet and said, no need to send any more money that the orphanage was overrun and the Tet Offensive and, and all the kids, kids were lost. So oh, wow. 
you know, it was heartbreaking, but, you know, for the short time that I had the uh, ability to help her, I, I certainly uh, gave it my all. Mm-hmm. I wished I could have brought her home, but, you know, that's, my heart has always been big. I've never been a selfish person. And the reason that I, I tell that story is because I've always cared about people. But what, the reason that I brought expectation therapy, not being a selfish kind of thing when you start looking at your own expectations is because I was at a, at a uh, with a client and the client said to me, you know, this is a great idea, but it sounds selfish to me. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, why does it sound selfish? And they said, well, you're focusing all on you. And I said, you know, when you're trying to become all that you can be, you've got to focus on you before you can focus on other people. You can't help other people grow if you're not growing yourself inside. And that's what I meant by, by it not being a selfish thing, because I know it can, when, when I'm saying, you know, hey, you need to really look inside yourself and all this kind of stuff, it starts to sound like, oh, you're focusing just on you. But it's laying the foundation for your whole entire life, how, how you're going to look at things, how your perspective is, how your perception of things is going to be. Because once you learn to manage your expectations, everybody's expectations don't matter. It doesn't matter when the salesman says to you, hey, that car is not going to be here tomorrow because he works on the, on the, the fear of loss, you know, selling is it through the fear of loss. You know, if, that, if you don't buy that car today, it's going to be gone. Well, so what? If it's gone, it wasn't meant to be mine, you know, and you don't make such snap decisions. You become more emotionally intelligent. And that's another big part of what I do, becoming, teaching people to become emotionally intelligent, emotionally aware of what they are and what they're thinking and how they're reacting to other people. Because once you can control your emotions, then you can, your perspective is going to change. And so that's uh, part of the, I think selfish is such a loaded term. That's why I kind of shift people to self-full to understand that there's that difference there. If I understood you correctly, this, um, the idea of expectation is basically future thinking. I think it's more about thinking in the now, here and now. Okay. Okay, because I, I, that, I, that's interesting to hear um, because I was, when I do something because I'm thinking, for instance, you said, is there anything you do without expectation? It's because I'm thinking about where does that move me in the next moment? Mm-hmm. And so I was hearing the future in that. But so tell me the here and now versus out future. in front of you. Yeah, because I would, I think some people would say the here and now is actually expectation free. I'm where I am right now versus what's yeah. the next. I think that with a very traditional view of that, and you got to understand, I do not have a traditional view of expectations. Mm-hmm. I think that expectation inside of yourself, the self-expectations that I talk about are, are the here and now because it, it's bound in integrity. It's bound in uh, faithfulness. It's bound in honesty. Uh, all of those things that, are about here and now. Mm-hmm. So when when you do have to make a decision for something in the future, you're doing it out of basis of having, you know, let me explain it this way. It's like having a solid foundation. You cannot build a house that is straight and erect when you when you start with a foundation that is 
crooked and, and crossed. Mm -hmm. So this is about having a solid foundation in you. What, what you, the three steps in expectation therapy are to identify, to clarify, and then solidify with a written plan. Right, let's go through those. Can we, can we go through those one at a time and talk about what that means? Sure. You know, just like I did as a nine-year-old when I went and laid on my back and I started to do self-examination and I started to want to know what I wanted out of life mm -hmm. and have to figure it out, even though I, I didn't have a clear vision of it, I, I knew that I wanted to figure out something good in my life. So you have to be able to identify what you want and where you want it to be. My goal as a nine-year-old was to get out of my environment was to get out and get on my own so I could control my destiny and not be at the hands of others. And I know that at nine years old, but, and you got to remember this, this evolved from nine to when I was 18, when 17 and a half, when I went in the Marine Corps, a lot of these decisions that I was making came over a course of time, but I had to identify what I wanted. So what I do is I help people identify truly what they want out of life, what it is. And it can be as simple as I want to be happy in my marriage. I want to, I want to have children. I mean, there's lots of different things that the people define as what they think will be their happiness, but we work on identifying it. And then once they've identified it, then we've got to make sure they are completely clear because once you become clear on something that that's what you want, then we can put a written plan together, which is the solidification part. We can put a written plan, a step-by-step -step plan of to get you from point A to point B, C, D, E, F. And once you learn to do this, they really don't need me. They could start doing it on their own. And it becomes very... The people that I work with pick this up very – some people pick it up quickly. Some – it takes a few – a little bit more work. But they always pick it up. And once they start, they see, they see tremendous uh, change in the people around them. They see tremendous change in themselves. And things start to take a very clear and purposeful path to, to them achieving the things that they want to be happy and even when obstacles arise, they've learned how to take and process the challenge. They learn how to manage all of those expectations that have stopped them previously and, and keeps them directed on the path that they want to go. Okay, so let me, let me I just want to kind of clarify a little bit. Um, as you were talking about those, identifying what you want, mm -hmm. feels to me like that is future. And clarifying that as part of that process that ha it's happening in the now. I agree with that. But it feels like the process of expectation is what do I expect to have coming my way? How am I going to do that by this step-by-step -step plan to get there? And it feels to me like the real piece that I hear in that is a shift from the external expectation swirling around me from my spouse, my friends, my family, my culture, whatever that is, to an internal place of where do I want to get to? And that's so I'm I hear the uh, getting rid of the external and moving to the internal. Tell me more about the in the now versus the future thinking. 
Well, it, what it starts doing, it starts changing your perspective and your and uh, your ideas on on how on what's important. Mm-hmm. And when once you got you, you ever you ever want something so bad you would do anything to get it. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. That's the simplest way to do it. If you want to have the best marriage in the world, you can't wave a wand and make it happen. You've got to do the work, but you've got to have a plan to get there. And that's mm-hmm. basically what we do. But you can't do that unless you yourself are have identified it, for one thing, and then become very clear about it and 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 are able to process it inside of yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't help and change your family, your spouse. Well, you can't change your, you can't change anybody else. I don't believe in that you can ever change anybody else. They have to want to change themselves. So this, I always tell people, this is for somebody who truly wants to change their, themselves. But once you start doing that, you can help other people around you. I mean, I've seen where, where I've taught uh, spouses to to manage their expectations, and it has changed the whole dynamics of the family mm-hmm. because it sets it sets a standard. It sets a you know people that are in transition or or are stuck or don't know what they want are really craving as I was as a nine year old some kind of structure, some kind of structure that'll get us to where we want to be. Mm-hmm. That's what this does. Yeah. So one of the things that I've done uh, when I'm working with relationships, uh, since I do a lot of work with that, is to help people make a shift from the expectations they have on somebody else to agreements they can make on you know how they're going to move forward. So that's the in some ways that's uh, unclaiming the expectations for the other person. You know, and to, instead of saying I expect you to do this, it's can we agree on this? because you can't make those expectations of others. And yet we somehow internalize expectations all the time throughout our life of what's around us and, and try to live into them. And I certainly see what the disconnect between what our own expectations are and how we need to shift to uh, away from the expectations that are just put upon us that we, uh, I think in many times, um, take on and don't realize. Uh, you know, one of the things that you talk about it, it, of that, that phase in your life of being nine and abandoned, you didn't have the expectations getting piled on you from authority figures and people around you, um, which probably gave you some flexibility in thinking about what was inside of you. With that, I could I could do anything I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Literally, I mean, For but good you and bad, right? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I did do both. Yeah. And I mean, at nine years old, I, I, I'm be honest with you. I did both. You know what the thing is, is that I can vividly remember seeing my people that I knew and friends that I knew, you know, not other nine-year-olds and wishing that I had somebody that would give me direction. You know, I, even today, I, I sometimes stop and go, I wonder if it, when I was young, if somebody had expected more of me, what I would have become, hmm. you know, my dream is as a nine year, nine year old is I wanted to play baseball. Hmm. I mean, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. I mean, that was what the, if there was anything inside of me that I ever wanted to be, and I would have done anything to be a professional baseball player at 20, 
three, I went back and tried to become a, a, a professional baseball player and gave it a shot, you know, and, uh, you know, it satisfied me. I gave it a shot and I heard people that were very high up and, and say to me, you know, had you started younger, you would have been, you could have made it to the pros, but, you know, we can't invest in you at 23, a 23 year old catcher's already too old for us, but we'll let you be a bullpen catcher, <laughs> you know, and I had to make a decision at that time to say, no, I, I'm, you know, I gave it a shot and I didn't make it. You gave me a year shot at it and, and I didn't make it. So I'm, I'm moving on and I'm going to, I'm going to go start my own thing and do my own thing, you know, and that's what I always talk about. I've always done everything I wanted to do because I've always had this faith that it's great. And I tried many, many things. I've, I've done lots of great, great work and enjoyable work that have been very fulfilling, but I'm, I'm always, it drove my, my late wife crazy because she was very steeped in, and uh, she would have been happy if I had a nine to five job all my life and retired at, at 60 years old and all that with a, you know, with a small retirement or whatever, but I've always had these big dreams and I've always pursued them. So uh, it's been great. I mean, we had a great life together. So, but I was, one of the things you were talking about that I did want to get in, I've had, you know, I have people all the time say to me and they said, my, my, uh, my therapist tells me not to have any expectations. And I cringe and I say, okay, let me tell you, ask you this, take your right hand and put it over your nose, put your left hand, put it over your mouth and then clamp down. And they said, I can't do that. I won't, I won't be able to breathe. And I said, there you go. As simple as breathing, you have expectations. Everything we do is based in an expectation. So you can't live without having expectations. You will stall. You will stop. If you stop expecting, you will just stall. There's no creativity. There's no, it's, it's so basic. And that's part of the problem when we mention the word expectations. Because people get this, oh, you know, I mean, Shakespeare wrote about it. I mean, it's you, all you have to do is Google expectations. And 90% of it is about on the negative side, about not having expectations. What they, what they fail to realize is that if you stop expecting, you'll get nothing. You have nothing to drive you. I mean, if I didn't expect to get up the next day, I sure wouldn't go to bed tonight. That's right. There you go. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about, um, you've got a podcast. Tell us a little bit about your work and uh, how people can get in touch if they're you know, going, yeah, you know, I need to figure out this expectation piece. You can get a hold of me at expectationtherapy.com. My podcast is Shower Epiphanies, and we do very much what we've done here. We just have conversations about uh, people's life's events and uh, storytelling, and they... Uh, we get to hash through some of theirs and how I can help them and how they can help me. And we do a lot of learning on, on that podcast. Uh, it's number 28 in iTunes on self-improvement right now, which I'm proud of after only being a podcaster, December 26 will be a year. So I've got, yeah, I'm proud of that. Uh, but you know, I have an online course that you can find on, on my site and really, I'm always here to help anybody. I love helping people. 
it's the biggest part of my life. And uh, what I take great joy in now is, is just helping people live the, to the best of their ability. I want people to, to know that there's always hope. Yeah. There is always hope. Even if it's 63, 65, 72, 75, there's hope. You know, that's uh, you, when you mentioned that earlier um, and you're talking about suicide, yeah, it reminded me of Viktor Frankl's uh, book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. When he gets to the logotherapy fundamentals, he talks about his work with people who are suicidal. And his, his, th- his technique is to help them find something for which they can have hope, anything. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and that brings them back to the fact that there is, if there is one place you can hope, then that's a, a place to expand into. So um, that's such an important part. Amen. So tell me, um, the, there at, at your website at expectationtherapy.com, there are links to the podcast. Are there other resources people will find there? Yeah, there's all kinds of, uh, well, there's case studies that we've done. Uh, we're adding, uh, continuously adding new stuff to it. We're going to come out with some freebies, uh, ebooks and, uh, some uh, questionnaire types. Uh, material that is going to be coming out very, very soon. So uh, I'm going to start giving away more. <laughs> well, that's always a good thing. So um, if this has meant something to you, and there's already stuff there, so don't think you're just going to a blank website, but go to expectationtherapy.com, uh, read some case studies, uh, check out uh, that podcast, Shower Epiphanies. Art, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for sharing so much. Thank you, Lee. Thank you for having me. listening to the Thrivology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thrivology.com or at thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Uh-huh.